Hey kids, are you missing out on important vaccinations because your parents are afraid of safety? We'll suffer no more, you plague-addled cherubs. The visionary behind do-it-yourself sutures and the pocket rectum brings you the world's first affordable, portable vaccine substitute in a can. Wake up to a blast of extreme immunization with the all-new SpitCup. SpitCup is an all-natural system for family-style saliva harvesting and distribution. At the doctor's office, you may expect to pay a price of two, ten, even two twenty dollars for a vaccination. That money goes straight into the hands of machine gun Soviets. Is that a future you want to grow up in? But don't take my ass for it. Listen to a real live male nurse. Immunization is ein Schnapp mit Spitkap. It's so simple. Even the genius can do it. Which I'm not. Uh, I'm a very small person. Great words from a great man. I'm a woman. Whoa, check please. Hello, my name is Dottore Belordo and I'm a genius at science. I encourage Spitkusp because it is a product that I can really get in my behind. And since it's made in American, I know that no tiny dirty orphan fingers have touched it. Only all natural American factory workers whose hearts are filled with hurt. Kid cup. Kiss Kid cup. So what are you waiting for? Stop letting experts shove needles down your blood. Stop caring about the facts on Vax and start giving a fucking spit with Spit Cup. Discontinue use of Spit Cup if you experience inexplicable redness, swelling of the eyes, groin turbulence, abdominal excellence, mandatory collarbone dysplasia, primate telepathy, fungal aberrations, or restless jowl syndrome. Ask your doctor if Spit Cup is right for you. If it isn't, ask a different doctor. It is. I'm a sick woman. Attention, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, scientists, brains, and sensory organs of all ages. It is time once again for Blastro Podcast. <laughs> and now your host, that man of science, Dottore. <laughs> It is a time for virus. Hello once again, Internet. It is I, Dottore Bolordo, man of science. And here, sitting across from me in the pod chamber on the pod couch, is another Dottore of sorts. He's the brother of my idiot roommate, Mark Soloff. It is my pleasure to hereby pronounce our guest, Dr. Adam Soloff! Adam, how are you? I am well, I'm well. How are you, Dottore? I am excellent. I'm uh, enjoying this hot summer weather. <laughs> Parts of me have expanded to accommodate uh, gas and thermal dynamics. Yes. But other than that, I'm, I'm trying to stay out of the sun. I want to take care of my skin and other parts. You should. Thank you. you. Should. <laughs> it's healthy to take care of your skins. Yes, yes, you gotta block sun and you don't want, uh, you know, melanoma and skin cancer and you'll, you know, you have such a fine glow already. Thank you. You know the secret? Essential oils. (laughs) I simply grind them into my skin many times a day to make sure that I stay young and subtle. Excellent. For my fans. (laughs) Adam, Dr. Soloff. Yes. You're a Dottore too, eh? I am of sorts. You think you're smart? I no. Good. <laughs> I, I like I work hard at it. You work hard. I do. At getting smart. I read a lot. You read a lot? I do. What of kind of books do you read? Um, Science fiction novel? 
<laughs> Romantic literature, literature. Well, I spend a lot of my time at work reading the scientific literature, so different types of journals, and uh, you know, which are very specific on facts and studies, uh, findings from research groups. And then if I come home and I do get time to read, I'm doing nothing about science. So, hmm. a little break for the mind. Now, uh, speaking of breaking of the mind, can I get these scientific journals in a bookstore? Or are they so special, only a wizard can get them? Well, uh, the National Institutes of Health has just changed up some of the uh, restrictions on it. So they fund a lot of this work, and they are making one of the regulations to publish their funded work that they need it to be open access for the public. Uh-huh. So you can go to some place like PubMed, which would carry... The vacation of, destination? Uh, kind of, for your scientific mind. Uh-huh. And they would carry primary literature. So you could go on and let's say you're interested in, you know different essential oils to rub into your beautiful skin. Thank you. Uh, you could Flattery go to... will get you anywhere. <laughs> you go to PubMed and you check that out and you can read what uh, different scientific groups are publishing on it. Oh! For free. Most of the time. I... Adam, I'll tell you what. Science is a, a human endeavor which should be shared with all. But... You can also make a fat stack of money on it. <laughs> so every time I come up with an idea, I just post it. On uh, Pew Bed, and I say that'll be thirty dollars to read my abstrange. Yes, and there are a lot of journals that uh, do still carry that restriction. Yeah, and they might charge you upwards to forty bucks to read an article. Yeah, which is um, kind of against the spirit of scientific endeavor that it should be shared with all, so right. we can all use it. But it is true to capitalism. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Let's get into Pacifics. What are you and what do you do, even? So I think... Uh, uh, Who are, what are you? What do you do? Are you a cheese grinder? I am... Are you an, a monkey trainer? I am an immunologist. So my training is in public health and my degree... I have a PhD in infectious diseases and microbiology. And most of my work has been developing different vaccines for viral infections. So HIV and SARS and bird flu and things that would be generally very dangerous to the public. Adam, that is all very well and good. But let's deal with the true, the true danger on the horizon. Rickets. What are you doing to help cure <laughs> mankind of rickets? Um, my work has largely ignored it. <laughs> I'm going to just sweep it under the carpet and pretend it's not there. You heard it first. Any of our international audience suffering from rickets right now, America is not helping you because we're selling our cures for all sorts of unimportant diseases like SARMs. Is that a Tiny Tim kind of thing? Rickets? Yeah. I think Tiny Tim might have had the rickets. You're talking about uh, Charles Dickman's famous novel, uh, Christmas Carnage? Yeah, yeah, the little guy. Yeah, he's a little... Well, we needed to create more of them, then. More Tiny Tims? <laughs> For heart-wrenching stories of <laughs> redemption. It is very important that every community has at least one tiny, crippled <laughs> child who's very optimistic, who loves going to church yeah. for some reason, kind of, in uh, spite of what society and, and nature has obviously doomed him with. Remind you how good you have it. Yeah! You know, the, part of the scene in Christmas uh, Carnage when... Uh, Ebenezer uh, Scrounge comes up to a tiny, uh, uh, different tiny child and is like, You there, little boy! Get, take my gold and go buy me that goose. And the kid's like, The goose is big as me, sir! And he's like, Yes! <laughs> yes, I know it. Yeah, I, I reenacted that scene, but I got too lazy to get the goose, so I just ate the child. <laughs> and I'll tell you, child meat, not as good as goose meat. Really? Yeah. Kind of gamey? Kind of gamey. Right on. Yeah. 
That's why I'm very big into these kids watching video games all day long and getting uh, child obesity problems. It's, it's like the veal of human flesh. It really is! <laughs> like... And we're turning our kids into the Kobe beef because mm. they're so soft mm. and cowardly. <laughs> Um, as much as I'd like to try that, there's something inherently wrong about it. <laughs> about man-on-man lunch? Yeah, yeah. I think we've, you know, by and large gotten past that. It's a dog-eat-dog world, my friend. That's uh, true. Is it? You know, what do we say? Dog-eat-dog? Do dogs actually eat each other? I've never seen a cannibal dog. No. Maybe a dead carcass? Like a do, wild do dog? Do wolves, like, scavenge if a dog falls? Are we talking a domestical, a domestic? I know there are animals, so a lot of my work has dealt with non-human primates working with monkeys, and I know there are studies that if a monkey comes on upon a different, uh, if a monkey comes on a monkey who's dead, uh, the body actually scares it. They have a certain uh, instinct to avoid. But in the same vein, uh, one species of monkey will also kill and eat a different one. So it all, I think it all depends on how close it is to you. Like, if I saw a human dead, it would probably freak me out. But if I saw, like, a monkey dead, I'm cooler with it. I don't know. <laughs> Let's eat this monkey. <laughs> Let's eat this monkey. <laughs> it's grilling right there. Adam, you don't want to eat a monkey. No, no. We all know that that's how SARS started. <laughs> you led me down this train. <laughs> I didn't want to get there. Sorry. Adam, you are an immigonologist. You're a science man. I am. You read of books, but what else do you like to do in your fun times? Um, my fun times now, I live in Charleston, South Carolina, so I like to hang out on the beach if I can. I'm uh, playing music. I'm a musical spirit, so I'm trying to get You're back You're a musical spirit? Kind of. I don't believe in no ghost. No, 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 no. Just kind of, uh, you know, whatever I can do. I like my hobbies actually are away from the sciences. Away from sciences. Give me something to relax. Okay, here's some Xanox. <laughs> Take this with food, otherwise you might get an upset stomach. I should say my hobbies give me something to relax. Your hobbies give you something to relax. Yeah. So you play of musics. I do. You go to beaches. I do. Do you, do you ever go into the sea and see interesting varmints in there? I have. I, uh, my wife and I scuba dive. We have swam with sea turtles and Whoa. sharks. We've been on the Great Barrier Reef. What? Um, yeah, yeah actually getting to touch dolphins and such things. Whoa. Yeah, pretty neat. You have seen many adventurous beasts of I... the nautical world. We are world travelers, <laughs> yes. Here in the pod chamber, which is located in Chicago, Illinois, mm. we see much fewer wild beasts, <laughs> but... I hear you have many shootings. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> During street festivals, a lot of human beasts come out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so it really evens out. You know, it's like an urban jungle, right? It is, like Upton Sinclair wrote about uh, in his one movie. Uh, <laughs> Too soon? Too soon. <laughs> You're the brother of my idiot roommate, Mark Sola. I am. I've known him all his life. You are genetically related to this guy. We're very similar. Why is he so dumb? Why doesn't he understand the ways of the world like the Tory? It's effort. You know, he just doesn't put in the work. Doesn't put in the brain work? <laughs> You know, uh, I think us soul loves are inherently, you, we have the capacity, but it's, uh, it's effort. It's effort. Yeah. You gotta be dedicated. You gotta get in there and really, you gotta have that passion and follow it. And follow through with your passion. Gotta follow through. <laughs> and he obviously. No. Does not. <laughs> well, he tries. Not like Dottore. No. I thought, oh, like... there is a, a grassroots success story if I ever heard <laughs> Right? You know, uh, after the 1600s in Italy, nobody cared about what a dottore was. I thought they actually disliked him. 
with quails. <laughs> <laughs> were they burning effigies or something? <laughs> uh, well, the, uh, during the plague, you would send detores around with a bird-like mask and mm-hmm. stiff stuff their snoots with like rosemary and other fresh-smelling herbs because science has proven that's a way to get rid of the plague. Ah. <clears throat> and so you probably didn't want to see the detore rolling around your community because that meant you were probably going to die from bubos. It would be a rough time. Yes, it was a rough time. They deserved it though because they were sinners in the eyes of their god. What? Which is why it's important to be a scientist, because then nobody's going to get mad at you. <laughs> Nature has a beautiful way of kind of resetting the clock every once in a while. Is it beautiful? It is, um, it is without... It is elegant in its ruthless efficiency? It's without malice. Nature doesn't kill because it's fun or it wants to. It kills because it is necessary. It is there. It's the way the order happens. Now, speaking of words and knowing things, uh, doctor, I think that uh, you know about how a virus works. I do. And in order to establish this, I must challenge you to a duel of the Iron Mikes in the form <laughs> of the popular segment, the episode 16 Adam Zoloff All About Viruses Lightning Round Review! Brought to you by Pritos. I swear, she was dead when we got here. Ready, Dr. Adam? I am. Let's be nine. Question number one! Which is the tastier virus? H5N1 tikka masala or honey-baked H1N1? Uh, H5N1 by far. Correct! Question number two! British actor Robot Grinch contracted which flu during the filming of Humphrey Potom and the Methley Hallops? I'm not certain, but I'll say Spanish influenza? Correct! Question number three! The Spanish flu badassfully punished 20 to 50 million blanks worldwide. Human beings. Correct! Question number four. Please complete this analogy. The A-team's howling mad Murdoch is to virus as the General Motors Vandura is to blank. What's a Vandura? Well, I don't know. What's a Vandura with you? (laughs) Can you define it for me? Uh, The A-team's van that they rolled around in. The Vandura. Um... Uh, so the hu- uh, so... Howling Mad Murdoch is too virus as the Vandora is too? Uh, the body which hosts and transports the virus. Final answer? Yes. Correct! <laughs> Question number five. Infuncted body shells release distress signals called chemokines and cytokines. What do regular shells release? Uh, they actually do release chemokines and cytokines, but they're for... to maintain homeostasis of the body. So they are inflammatory signals when dealing with a viral infection. Shut up! Sorry. Correct! (laughs) Wonderful job, Dr. Adam. You've mercilessly liced all of the questions with the free radicals of knowledge. For a reward, you get a commemorative Dottore Bellordo gift casket. Ah, thank you. Velvety casket liner, not included. It's 11 o'clock past the hour, and you're listening to All Things Mundane. I'm your host, Moises Catherine Nagel, filling in this afternoon for Cramston Alex Splendo Harvest Grad. This edition, coffee. It's a bean. It's an adjective for a shade of brown. It's a billion-dollar industry. Today we bring you the story of three lives profoundly influenced by café, or as you probably call it, coffee. This is National Radio, and simply put, we're better than you. Donate to us, won't you? And we're back! We're the Master Podcast with Dr. Adam Solonoff. Adam! Yes? The brother of my idiot roommate, Mark Solonoff. You are a specialist on viruses. I have done a lot of work with them in the past. What is a virus? 
Uh, virus is a pathogen which uh, can infect humans or animals or even plants. Ooh. And a virus uh, needs to live within a host cell to reproduce itself. And that's kind of its sole mission in life, to reproduce itself and make more virus. Make more of a virus. So it gets in a host cell, a hostel, uh, and it so. makes another virus. Yes. How does it do this? Well, uh, viruses are very, very efficient little things. So a virus enters the host cell, say one of your cells, what? and hijacks your body's cellular machinery to reproduce its own parts. So it uses its own DNA or genetic blueprint. Uh, it doesn't have to be DNA. It can be RNA. And gives that to your body's cellular machinery, which then replicates it and makes more particles. Hmm. So the virus gets inside my machines. It says, workers, take the day off. <laughs> and then it builds its own fancy uh, prototypes. It does. And uh, the efficiency is spectacular. So there are viruses which enter into a cell and create thousands of copies of themselves, so much so that the initial cell that's infected bursts. Oh. And this is called lytic replication. So when that cell bursts, it's spouting thousands of viral prodigy just back into your system to go on and infect new cells and do the same thing over and over again. Can a, a virus move by itself? Uh... Or does it have to <laughs> bump up into my cell? <laughs> no, I think they move by Brownian motion, which is kind what? of just... <laughs> they are taken by the flow. So viruses have no propulsion. Okay. So they're carried in sneezes, or they're carried in fluids, or they're carried by the random jitterings of the universe. Oh. Yeah. So like if I have a virus, if I eat on a virus and it, it gets in my bloodstream, mm -hmm. and then it's up to my blood to move it to a cell. Absolutely. So oh. they don't have any feet or tails or anything. No propulsion. Just, okay. you know, they go wherever the wind will take them. Oh. They're like seeds. They are like seeds. Huh. All right, Adam. On a scale of 1 to 10, how alive are viruses? Uh, it's an interesting question. So they're, I know, they're... <laughs> I'm tutorial Gordo, man of science! <laughs> they are not alive. Um, they don't make decisions. They don't have choices. They don't... Uh... Like Bolnaz. <laughs> Bolnaz has no choice in her life. I left her on Mars still. I didn't know Bolnaz was a she. Yeah, it's, she's a real... Uh mystery <laughs> so she's like a shim i've never yeah i've never seen a peter on her but i've never seen her viagra either right on um even during the swimsuit calendar photos which is weird <laughs> well hopefully they were tastefully done tastefully done you know the the development liquid tastes poor mm. i think they add bitterant to it to stop people like me from drinking it i yes wise choice Thank uh you. so no viruses don't have a i wouldn't say they're alive but they're more of an assembly process. Like a machine. Like a self-perpetuating thing. Like ignorance? <laughs> Very much so, but in more of a physical, tangible form. Adam, the South will rise again. Uh, hey, yeah. macaroni! Uh, too soon. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so they're not alive. No. But they do stuff. They do. That's weird, like a chumbi. Uh, kind of, you know, so they do stuff by making you do something. And some of the coolest examples nowadays are how uh, viral infection and actually not just viruses, but other kind of pathogens can influence behavior of a creature, right? So one of the really neat ones is rabies virus. So when rabies infects an animal, right, it makes them hydrophobic. So they're afraid of water. Yeah, right? I mean, that just makes sense. Yeah, and additionally... 
the rabies virus uh, makes the animal more aggressive. So the animal will go around and then bite someone, bites you. Yeah. Right? And now it's transmitting the virus. So the virus has actually hijacked the animal, changed, it, altered its behavioral pattern so that it can essentially spread its virus onward, which is very neat. So the virus itself is instructing the creature to do its bidding. Oh. Yeah, right? Like an overlord. Like an overlord. Do you remember that episode of the Smurfs when they would get the disease and they bit each other on the butt and they'd go, gnap, gnap, <laughs> and they'd turn purple? I absolutely do. It is the same concept. In fact, that's probably where the Smurfs got it. That was a prophetic episode of the Smurfs. Smurfs rabies, absolutely. Weird. So, okay, we know now that rabies will make you into a Smurf. Let me ask you a little bit more about viruses. Where can I purchase a virus for recreational use? So I don't know if there's anywhere that you can really purchase a virus for recreational what use. What if I was a masochist and I'm like, I want to get the flu. Give it to me. I would go to a preschool and that's a great <laughs> way to get the flu. Um, Lick all the doorknobs. Like, yes. <laughs> They're vectors. They are vectors of disease transmission. What is a vector? A uh, vector is more of a transportation vehicle. They, you know, they service to carry a pathogen from one place to another. Like in the olden days when uh, the American settlers wanted to kill off the Native Americans. Uh, monsters, I believe they're called. <laughs> I don't know if monsters is appropriate. What? I'm sorry, Native monsters. <laughs> Back to viruses. Back to my... Okay. Uh, if you are offended at the Torre called Native Americans Monsters, you are listening to the wrong podcast. I'm not comfortable. Right. What's the difference between the bird foo and the swine foo? Um... So, influenza actually comes in many different varieties, right? And Honey bacon? Honey bacon. So Mesquite? If you think about it as, like, there's a finite amount of proteins, of building blocks that go into creating a virus, right? Um, and you can define the type of virus by which of those proteins are put together. So influenzas are defined by the two types of surface proteins or receptors they have. Um, they're neuraminidase and hemagglutinin, which allow the virus to attach to cells and infect them, right? It also defines the types of species that they can infect. So the cool thing is that people only get a couple types of flus that are out there, but birds carry every known strain that's out there. So birds Those carry... Those sluts. I know. Um, I forget what we're up to now. I think there's over 20-some different types of influenza strains that birds will carry. Um, like whales can have a dozen. What? Dogs and horses get their own. Same thing, you know, pigs have a certain... Uh, configuration that they will carry and all these by and large don't mean anything to us we don't care they go on they infect birds birds get sick they get better all right every once in a while the flu strains will jump and infect a person right so normally it's not a big deal um because they're not adapted to spread around in people um but the problem is when a virus a flu strain from a different species gets into a human being you have no defenses against it right right you have no innate herd immunity you've never seen it before you have no idea new strange thing right and if it's really dangerous like the bird flu then it can be lethal right so bird flu kills about 60 some percent of people that it infects Right? Well, mm -hmm. thankfully for us, is it's not actually evolved to transmit between people very well. So it's very lethal, but not very uh, 
uh, very capable of spreading. So it's like in the movie Ringu, when they watch a VHS, and then seven days later, the ghost girl comes out of your TV and kills you. Spoilers. <laughs> and that's a very lethal thing. But nobody uses VHS anymore, so it's not very good at transmitting from television to television. Exactly. So now if you take that, but make the, uh, the movie downloadable on the internet, oh. so it did spread around, Stick now you can have millions and millions of weird creepy girls come out and kill you or whatever happens in the movie. Oh, boy. I know, right? I'm terrified in my mind. So bird flu and swine flu are actually, there are many different types of flus that naturally infect those species. We're only concerned with them when they jump into people. Because we're so arrogant. Well, we own the earth. How many swine do you care about? I care about a lot of swine. (laughs) My ceiling is covered in ham. (laughs) And I don't need to eat a ham sandwich that's going to make me feel into a pig flu. Exactly, exactly. Well, that's comforting to know. But how do I know if I'm having the flu? Most viral infections go undiagnosed because generally you get sick, uh, you feel pretty bad, you know, maybe you're, you've got a headache, you coffee, runny nose type of stuff, you know, and everyone says they got sick, they got the flu, right? Yeah. So a lot of that isn't the flu, a lot of that's bacterial. And a lot of times you have an infection that isn't actually influenza virus, but different types of viruses. Uh, adenovirus, rhinovirus, there's, you know, plenty of fun types out there. Giraffe virus. <laughs> that you can get. Zebra virus, elephant virus, your Your virus. zoo type species of virus. Tiger virus. Um, but Poker virus. Generally, uh, I think about in, uh, viral infections as coming on very quickly and then resolving very fast. Mm, like right? my relationships. <laughs> <laughs> my heart. Um, and it's a issue of viral replication and the body's ability to control that infection. So sometimes they just burn out, and sometimes your body can mount a sufficient defense to eliminate it. Whereas things like bacterial infections generally take hold and get entrenched. They'll last a bit longer. They've got real stick to not like a fancy virus. No, nope, they do. Uh, they make little colonies. They make little, uh, little homes. Oh, well, yeah. that's quaint. It is. Good for bacteria. No. Let me ask you something. Are virus always evil? Or can they be used for good boy times? Uh, so viruses, to me, are fascinating. And Are you one of these weird scientists that looks at the monster and you're like, Oh, but it's so beautiful. <laughs> it's the perfect killing machine. We need to get closer to it. In a way, I am. So a lot of the... A lot of the vaccines that I've worked on teams developing, that I've, I've worked with, we actually use a virus which creates a common... It causes a common cold. The virus is called an adenovirus, right? So by nature, it will not kill you. It might give you a runny nose, some sniffles, but it's not going to do you a whole lot of damage. So we take that virus and we chop out the genes. We chop out the genetic segments that make it dangerous, allow it to replicate within you. And in place of those parts that we've chopped out... Cut its nuts out. <laughs> yeah, we cut its nuts out. And in that place, we put in genes uh, of really dangerous bugs. So one of the best ways to create a vaccine is to kill the bug and give it to the person, right? Polio. Polio is a virus. The best, the initial vaccines were killing the agent and giving it to a person so your own body can see it and say, hey, this is great. We're going to fight this off. So right? all the little broken up virus fangs and teeth are floating around in your bloodstream, and then your body goes, oh, let's look at this and figure out how to beat it. So when we deal with the real one, 
We can beat it. Absolutely. You handicap it, you give it back to the body so the body can beat it up and know how to beat it up in the future, right? Right. Well, what happens when you have something like HIV, right? Where if that HIV isn't totally beaten up and like crippled, if it's not totally disabled when you give it to the person as a vaccine, you've now infected someone with HIV and eventually that's a really bad disease to have. You're never going to hear the end of that if you do that. I know. People are so (laughs) particular. (laughs) So what we're able to do is take a virus that isn't dangerous, put in, remove its sections that allow it to be more pathogenic, and in their place, put in sections of dangerous viruses like bird flu, like HIV. So now my vaccine virus, the adenovirus, will go into your body. It will infect your own cells, starts to replicate itself, but now it's making those pieces of the dangerous bugs in your own cell, pieces of HIV, pieces of bird flu. Mm -hmm. And your body learns to fight those off like it would a natural virus infection, because it is virally infected it's a very trojan horse technique so they don't turn okay when the little chunklets of bird foo get inserted into your cells there it's a hybrid bird foo adenodin virus yeah so it wants to make hybrids not the actual bird foo inside your cell well it's not going to ever make a specific thing it's just going to make the pieces that never really match up right you know okay so you you sent in a thing to squirt abominations into your cells. <laughs> but your body can learn to fight off those abominations, right? So here's a situation where we've actually used the dangerous replication capacity of viruses. We've harnessed the beast in this Trojan horse method. And we've sent in, we've utilized its wonderful capacity for infection and replication of these parts, but we've put in parts that you can never expose the body to. And that way, your body can learn to fight off the parts of the really deadly, dangerous bugs without ever being in danger. Oh, it's awesome. That's kind of like when I invite gang members into the pod chamber, but I saw off their arms. <laughs> Very much like that. So you can learn to interact with them. Yes. Without being in danger. Here's what I do, and I learned this from The Working Dead. I take the gang members, and I saw off their arms, and when they come to, I have them chained up, and I carry them around with my katana. And so that way, if other gang members come near me, they smell my current gang members, and they don't look at me as food. I accept that. Thank you. Summer is drawing to a close, and that means it's time to pack up the beach bag and pick up some brand new back-to-school cassocks for the kids. But President Obama's new taxation on clothing can make a trip to the fabric store a real ass-fuck on your budget. In these stressful times, what's a good parent to do? Well, now there's hope. Chiar Financial is here to help. Chiar Financial is a locally owned international monetary befuddlature comprised of the body parts of over 15 disgraced financial institutions. Attention all men. Do you long for the days when a man could fight for what he believes in and be rewarded by the brave men and women he serves with in a sexual fashion, then you know that you need more than just a traditional prophylactic. You need the colonel's condom. Oh, man. TR Financial offers unique services and money package bundle planning for traditional American families and American families that disquiet us all. So what are you waiting for? Contact your local branch of TR Financial today, because CHI stands for your children. This message paid for in part by the Council for American Child Skeletal Reclamation. GR Financial is not a bank and is legally prohibited from returning money to its clients in the form of interest, royalties, residuals, or Viking Dane Gelt. GR Financial is not a legal vendor of food or medicine in the contiguous United States. If you or someone you love has been captured by GR Financial parties or pirates, contact your local alderman for immediate cranial reprogramming. License FTIZ 2525. Where the hose at? Let's get crunk. Yes? Hey, Dr. Adam. Yeah. <laughs>
Do you know what time it is? What time is it? It's time for plugs! It's time for plugs! It's time for plugs! Not drugs, but plugs! Give me a hug! Don't... I know your brother. (laughs) Dr. Adam? Yes? Do you have any projects or things that you would like to plug to my internet audience? I kind of do. So right now, uh, the political climate for funding the sciences is a bit rocky. And... Because of sequestration, uh, a lot of sciences are being cut across the board. So I would like to turn on your your listeners if they are... I want to turn on my listeners, too. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So uh, To go to the American Association of Immunologists website, where they can read up a little bit about public policy and how this will affect our science endeavors in the future. Uh, If we cut back on it now, then we're not going to be able to train the people that 10 years from now will be able to do great things like cure whatever you're going to have. You know what? I saw a scientist named Neil deGlas Blyson. Yeah, and uh, great spokesperson for the sciences. Yeah, he thinks he's so great. <laughs> I'm a tutorial too. I know things. So he, but he made an interesting comment, which was that uh, some countries in Europe before the uh, euro used to have scientists on their bills on their currency. Yeah, and that was showing them what to appreciate. So from an early age, you see like Tesla or the other one. <laughs> I think Israel has Einstein on their currency, even though not technically from Israel. No, no. Sorry, my one listener in Israel. <laughs> <laughs> but it's important that society, uh, you know, kind of respects these people and honors them for their contributions. They do quite a lot for our day-to-day lives. Right. Right. Almost as much as the entertainment industry! <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the latest season of Mudmasters? A reality TV show about toothless yokels who harvest mud? I think I turned you on to that down in South Carolina. I like the little guy. Adam, your plugs are worthwhile. And should be considered. But even more worthwhile is my plugs! So, my young internet audience, if you have a question for me, Dottore Bolordo, find me on Twitter at AskDottore. And if you haven't yet, check out my brand new website called BlasterPodcast.com. You can listen to episodes, you can look at fun pictures. And, furthermore, if you live in the Chicago area, you can see my idiot roommate Mark Soloff performing live with Our Fair City on September 6th, 7th, and eighth in Jefferson Park as part of the Chicago Fringe Festivale. Well, Adam, it has been a raucous caucus today. Uh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Please see yourself out. I will. No, not that door. That's the apes. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.